Real Fun DC. So good you'll eat it up. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, on the Real Fun DC channel. Uh, you are hearing this after Thanksgiving, although I'm recording it before Thanksgiving. So uh, I hope you got your turkey on or if you're vegetarian or plant-based, got whatever whatever you do on and had a wonderful time. I hope you were able to safely gather with your family and have a uh, wonderful holiday uh, without any drama. There's always a little bit of drama at Thanksgiving, isn't there? Um, so welcome to the show. Uh, for those of you who are new, thanks for joining me. Um, I am Nikki Nellis and I cover the DC food, wine and hospitality scene and have for the last 18 years. Uh, I do co-host one of the only food and wine variety shows in the DC metro area called Foodie and the Beast. I do that with my husband, David. Uh, I am the foodie, he is the beast. Uh, that is in real life and on air, it is not a persona. Um, so you can hear that on Sundays on 1500 or of course on my site, which is how I got into this industry to begin with. The list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that writes about every food, wine and hospitality event going on in the DC metro area. And uh, silver, itty bitty bitty silver lining of the pandemic, I now am able to include things because there's so many virtual things across the country as well. You may hear me every now and again on WTP radio. I do regular reports for them. And of course, you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I don't really like Facebook, but it's on there. Uh, and here we are at Industry Night. I used to be out of the Line Hotel on full service radio. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, they have shut down that station. So while I don't have a really sexy studio, um, I now have an equally sexy platform being on Real Fun DC, and the show has maintained its stature. So normally at this time, um, I usually do a little rundown of where I've been, uh, but since we're recording this so far in advance, you'll just have to tune into one of my other shows to stay up to date on the latest and greatest food offerings uh, that I have been ingesting. Um, so... I'm excited to bring these guests to the uh, table. Uh, Chuck Gage, you know the name from Susan Gage Catering. Uh, he is also the co-owner of the very first kosher food truck in the DC area called Schmaltz Brothers with his partner, Yehuda Malka. And um, they're taking the bold step of opening a brick and mortar kosher concept, uh, Hamakam. I hope I'm saying it right. I did not ask. And it's in the Hillel, Hillel Center uh, on the GW campus. Everything about that is amazing to me. And I'm so looking forward to finding out more about that because I have a lot of questions. I am Jewish, but I don't keep kosher. I have a lot of questions about kosher dining in general. And I think the population does too. But first, I got a press release the other day about an event called DMV Nude. It is a visual art experience. And I was like, um, yeah, I think I need more info on that. So uh, I chatted with Tanisha Britt and Kong Glay, who are behind this event. And I said, you two have to join me on Industry Night so that you could share your story. So let's start with Tanisha and Khan. Hi, guys. How are you? Hello, Nick. How are you? Good. So, okay. Um, DMV Nude. It sounds super racy, but you're like, not really. So tell me more. Khan, would you like to... Sure. Um, 
So yeah, DMV new definitely sounds racy, and it's it's intentional to have that um have that response out of people. But as you stated, it is really a visual art experience. Um, and every time that we do the event, we try to create just that a unique experience. So it's not the exact same thing every time. There's always some type of theme that we build the event around. And just to be clear, the nudity is secondary to the experience. It is in the name because we want to spark that interest. We want to start that conversation. But it's really a artist networking um, experience that has all of these awesome things happening at the same time. Right. No, I get it. I know why you put nude in there because everybody's like, who is naked? Um, Tanisha, why don't you tell us a little bit about how it started? Because it, it started adjacent to something else. Absolutely. So it started as a buffer event between screenings for the DMV International Film Festival, which itself is a niche film festival. So it only caters to local filmmakers in the Washington, D.C. area and foreign filmmakers abroad. So we're meshing local and foreign films with that film festival. So the first year in particular, we wanted to do an event that sparked focus. So DMV was in new was born. So when the event first was conceptualized, we wanted to do something that literally, like Han said, sparked interest, um, especially with film goers, creatives. And we wanted something to actually boost morale for our nighttime screenings. Well, it developed its own legs, its own life, and became its own thing. And now here you see it in 2021, we started in 2010 and it's always been a very small exclusive event, which is now we call an experience because you have to actually go to actually understand what that experience is. Words can't really put it into enough detail. So that was the beginning of the, um, the film festival event, DMV Nude. It was conceptualized in, as a buffer event, and here we are. Right, but so I appreciate that it was a buffer event, but people walk in and see naked people. So that's not something that we all see on a regular basis. And I do want to remind you all, we're talking to Chap Gage later, and he does events and catering, and maybe there is some sort of synergy here about naked people being at Chap's events. Uh, but uh, I'll let him handle that with you. Um, but so you do have these naked models and but they're not statues, right? So can you give us, like, walk us through what this experience is. I know we're not allowed to know where it's happening because that's a need to know basis, but let's tell everybody when it's happening. So it's happening on December 4th. And so you're, we already list what to expect. So when you come there, you're going to expect to see these live art installations of, nude body painting, to live nude photography, to complimentary wine, complimentary cuisine. Um, you're, you're immersed into this environment of watching creatives actually work and network as well. So you get to rotate around the room and actually it's not about, as Khan said, nudity. It's mm -hmm. not at all about that. You're actually seeing this artist's work and you're getting that experience with them. You're watching them create, you're watching them direct the talent. You're watching these two talent, these two models body paint each other, have their own immersed, <laughs> you know, they're in their own world when they're doing their art on each other. By the end of the experience, you see the complete art 
what they have created on each other. So that's just a that's just a, a tidbit, a little bit of it. I mean, Khan, do, do you have anything to because he it was hard for me to explain and conceptualize the event to him until he actually experienced it and said, Oh, okay. I get so it. So as, as a goer. <laughs> right. So now Khan, what is your part in this experience? So I participate as the producer. Uh, what I try to do is take what Tanisha already had, which was an amazing event. Like she stated, she tried to explain it to me so many times. And I was like, uh, yeah, naked models. What else is happening? Right. Um, and, and then when I went, I realized, and, and just to give you a visual of what it is, um, I remember a gentleman came up to me after the last event and shared with me, um, his statement was, I had a 14 minute conversation with one of the models. And by the end of the conversation, I totally forgot that she was new, <laughs> right? So they're not just standing there to be observed. The models are actually engaging the guests. They're walking around the room. They're also observing live art happening, live painting happening on canvases. So it's really, um, again, the nudity is the secondary part, but it's really about that networking and that engaging with like-minded creatives. And really, truly, we cannot say it enough words will never be able to capture what the experience is. You literally have to be there to grab, grasp what it is. And then you will find ways to try to explain it to your friends next time right. until they come also. Well, and so how do you guys find the models? Because I think, I mean, I think if, if we look at it as an art experience, right? I mean, if we look at artists over hundreds of thousands of years, the body is one of the most painted and depicted things, be it statues, drawings, I mean, television, everything. The, the body is always used. So is it male and female? And how do you go about finding these models? So it is male and female. And really the, the great thing about the models, they are also artists, mm. right? So some of these models are actually participating in the event and their nudity is a part of their artistic expression. One of the challenges one of the models asked me was, you know, as I move around the event, I try to engage people in such a way and I watch them to see when it leaves their reality that I'm standing here nude. So mm -hmm. for the artists, like they're there as a part of their own artistic expression. You know, they, they are entrenched in what they're doing because that's how they're expressing themselves artistically as well. So we have people that actually come to us and say, hey, it's especially guests that were at previous events, they're like, I want to be at the next one and I want to participate because I saw the strength in that model expressing his or herself and I want to do something similar. So that's a lot of times how we get our models from people that were at previous events. That's amazing. And so now how many, now that, you know, hopefully we're at the end of what's happening out there with the pandemic, um, how many of these kinds of events do you plan on doing? And it will, will it only be in the DC market? Are you looking to expand? <laughs> Absolutely. So we're going to expand to the Baltimore market, hmm. um, hopefully in March. Um, what we're doing is we're escaping the, the year on how we're going to plan out 2022 with DMV Nude. But when, during the pandemic, this is our third event during the pandemic. Um, September was such a success. Mm 
So we decided we're coming back in December, um, even with a more, if even with a more different experience. So yes, um, definitely it's, it started in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. It started in the galleries of Georgetown and it expanded through DC. And now that we have gained more momentum, we're definitely looking to expand it to Baltimore as well. Well, I think it's so exciting. I mean, you know, um, you and I, we all talked offline about sort of the DC is not thought of as this cultural experimental art hub, right? Um, but there is so much happening here. I mean, I know you're considering it an art installation, but it, it seems a little theatery to me. Like it feels mm-hmm. like a bit of both, right? Definitely is. And, you know, speaking about kind of what DC um, may lack when it comes to those cultural experiences, I think now is the right time. DC is ripe for it. I think we're bringing in a different demographic uh, and different demographics of people. And we do have a lot of artists here in DC. Uh, We do have a lot of people that want to have these types of experiences and the opportunity just isn't there. So we feel like we're at the right time. Um, and we definitely want to saturate the DC market with the DMV new brand before we expand because DC is home to us, but it's also the right time for DC to have this experience. I, t- I couldn't agree with you more. Listen, I thank you both so much for joining me. Um, can you tell everybody uh, where they can find out about this event, how they can get on your list, where they can follow you and et cetera? Tanisha? Well, you can follow us at um, on Facebook at DMV Nude, and we're also at www.dmvnude.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go there to the website. You'll be able to get in contact with us. Our team is small, but we're very communicative. So um, just reach out. Um, also, the Instagram for the film festival, DMVIFF. That's where you can also find updates for DMV Nude as well. Okay. Um, and um, tickets are tickets are available on dmvnew.com. Um, yeah. It is limited tickets because of COVID and because we like to keep the event very um, controlled and, and, and really for the safety of our models and just keeping everybody um, safe and comfortable. We are limiting the tickets. So we encourage everyone, go get your tickets now. Do not miss out on this experience or you will be one of those people that someone's trying to explain it to and you're going to be just as confused. Be there. Right. I love that. All right. I want to thank you both so much for joining to me, me today. Of course, I'm going to keep this information on the list, are you on it.com, And I hope you'll always keep me uh, up to date on it. We're going to take a quick break. It's Industry Night with Mickey Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back. Don't forget to find out about DMV Nude. It certainly sounds like a um, titillating experience. I couldn't help myself. I had to do it. Um, Anyway, don't forget also to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter uh, for the latest and greatest happening in the D.C. food, wine, and hospitality scene. Um, And we're back here on Industry Night. And as I said in the beginning of the show, I'm really looking forward to my next two guests. Um, Kosher food. I think it is incredibly misunderstood. Um, I'm personally Jewish. I do not practice uh, keeping my household kosher. Although my grandmother did, uh, so her house was kosher. She kept kosher in, but not out. 
I never understood that either. Uh, so I'm excited to have people at the table with me who can uh, really explain kosher as a way of life and also as a way of dining. I've got Chap Gage and Yehuda Malka. Uh, they are behind Schmaltz Brothers, the food truck uh, and catering service. And Hamakam is coming soon to GW, um, the Hillel Center there, which is a totally new experience for not just the GW campus, but for Hillel as well. So thank you both for joining me today. That's a pleasure. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having us. So, um, Chap, I do want to start with you because um, I'd like to know how you got into offering kosher to begin with. I know you're you're from Susan Gage Caters. It's one of the most well-known catering companies in the city. Um, but then you totally, during the pandemic, made a sidebar and launched a kosher food truck. Well, it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit, it goes a little bit further back than that. I've, I have several great friends in the Orthodox community um, that you know, I talked to a lot about food, and you know, I was just very interested in the, in, in the Orthodox tradition, the Orthodox you know cuisine, just the history of it all, and just it, you know, it's 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 an amazing life these people live. It's you know, we can talk. I'm sure we'll talk later about the concept of Shabbat and things like that, and just I've always kind of admired the lifestyle. And upon talking to a bunch of my friends, one in particular, Sam Melamed, um, he introduced um, Yehuda and I. And, you know, we started talking about food. It was just a really a, a good partnership. Um, originally, you know, I, we weren't sure exactly what we wanted to do. The food truck was one of the ideas. But, you know, you mentioned the pandemic. And the big thing about the pandemic was, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen on the other side. I have all these amazing employees. And I, my biggest concern was, how do I keep these people working? You know, what can I do to create jobs? So, I, you know, if Susan Gage Caters came out on the other side, half its size, what could I do to, to keep this team? And, you know, kosher ended up being, you know, one of those things that I, I thought would be a good outlet for that. But why kosher? What was it about? And why a food truck? I mean, what was it about all of that? Uh, the, you know, the, I, I would, we do it. We deal with a lot of kosher meals that we get requests for from clients. And I usually see these and I just didn't really understand what, how it worked. You know, they come in, in a clamshell, usually, you know, wrapped up in several layers of tape and plastic bags. And I'm kind of like, there's got to be a different way to do this. And then I'd go eat at my friends' homes, my Orthodox friends, and I'd kind of see how they would eat and, you know, started getting a better understanding of it. And I just, I'm interested in, in complicated food issues. And so I was just kind of fascinated of going down the rabbit hole of how kosher cuisine works, all the requirements involved. And it's, it's extremely complicated, as you probably know. You know, it's extremely complicated to those of us that are outside of it. It's actually quite simple for the people that are in it. Well, Chap, you bring up a really good point. And Yehuda, I'm going to bring you into this. So you, Chap, you yourself said kosher cuisine. And I, I think I, that's where I get confused because aside from pork and shellfish, can anything be kosher, Yehuda? That's a great question. So technically, yes, anything besides pork, shellfish, and then there are a few other laws um, delineated in what we call the Torah or the Bible, the Old Testament, whatever you, however you want to call it, um, that uh, observant Jews follow to one level or another, mm -hmm. right? But you know, some people, for some people, it's like you said about your about your mother. It was like in the house, yes; outside of the house, no. Or if it's not mixing milk and meat, or staying away from pork, or staying away from pork or shellfish. So for me, um, I grew up with 
all of it in you know very um, orthodox observant home. Um, and yeah, you know, my attitude always was uh, growing up in the DC area and looking around and seeing all the uh, amazing offerings from everybody else. Yeah, exactly that. Like it, it could be kosher, right? This could be kosher. Why we could do this, but do it kosher. And, um, you know, DC has been, uh, and, and Silver Spring and, and that greater area has been very interesting to watch um, the, the Jewish and the observant population kind of grow over the last I mean, since 37 years since I've been here, um, but it's always been that question: like, yeah, can't this be? Can't this be kosher? But um, point. I mean, I, I mean, my husband's grown up in this area. He's much older than all of us, uh, and um, you know, there is a, a healthy Jewish community here, and a, a you know, out in Rockville, like by the JCC and etc. There are, are, are there is a very observant community. There are not a lot of kosher restaurants. And over the years since I've been here, I've been here for 30 years, there have been people who tried to open up kosher restaurants or they did open up kosher restaurants and they couldn't succeed. And I never understood why, because just like you said, um, it's, it's normal, it's not, it's any kind of food, any kind of cuisine can be made kosher. So can you explain what it is that makes it kosher? Yeah. So. Well, we'll talk about two things first. So there's what we would call just broadly kosher, right? And from a, we'll look at it from the Orthodox tradition perspective, right? And then there's something else entirely, which is um, institutional kosher certification, okay. right? So that involves the actual organizations that, that you know, are built around maintaining and um, certifying a kosher uh, supply chain and restaurants and catering and, and all of that stuff. So from the tourist perspective, from that, from that traditional perspective of kosher, it's a few basic things. It's no pork, no shellfish, no insects, um, meat and milk and dairy products uh, cannot be mixed together. Um, and certain small things about uh, Shabbat and if food is cooked for Shabbat or on Shabbat, there are some intricate laws that apply there. Um, so and funny. Then, I think of Shabbat as being a part of kosher because like my grandmother would leave the oven on overnight, right? So, you know, she would leave it so you didn't turn it on, but I didn't, I saw that as a Shabbat practice, not a kosher practice, but I guess when you say it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're tied together because, you know, getting to that specifically, what, what you do on Shabbat has, uh, affects, you know, um, whether or not you can use an item. And if we're talking about food and it was cooked improperly on Shabbat, then you can't use that. So you have to have all these separate laws on top of it. And that's why, you know, as Chad mentioned, for those of us in it, like you just grow up with it, it's, it's fairly simple and straightforward, but you know, to an outsider's perspective, it could, I mean, <laughs> it's complicated. Well, and, it's and, complicated and, and it's expensive because for like Chad, for a catering company, you need an entire separate kitchen that's kosher. Am I incorrect in that assessment? <clears throat> no, it's absolutely correct. Um, we maintain, I mean, our company and Chaps company are two entirely separate things. Mm -hmm. And so Schmaltz Brothers maintains a separate kosher kitchen or our own kosher kitchen, which we operate out of right now out of the back of the synagogue in Potomac. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I mean, even in our own kitchen, we only do um, meat products because our kitchen is designated just for meat 
items or anything meat adjacent. So if we're preparing, if I'm preparing a sandwich and I, you know, brisket on the sandwich, so the bun that I'm making obviously not um, doesn't have any meat in it, but because it's being prepared for meat, it has to be, you know, not prepared in a dairy kitchen or something that was prepared for dairy. And all of these are things, the little things like that, as you get into the nitty gritty de details, they're more about just um, strictly safeguards for cross-contamination, mm -hmm. right? So if, you know, if you're dealing with, uh, in a case where, you know, let's say Chaps Company, Susan Gage Caterers, has a kosher meal um, for five of the guests, right? Those meals have to be uh, double wrapped if they're going to be going into, into the warmer um, so that there's no cross-contamination between any of the other non-kosher products in there. Mm. So let me ask you both a question. I mean, pre-Schmaltz Brothers, obviously, uh, there was a huge misconception that, and again, we've already cleared this one, but I have to say it, that kosher food is not good. Like my girlfriend, when she got married 30 years ago, she had a kosher wedding and everybody's like, oh, the food's going to be terrible because it was kosher. But like the entire wedding was kosher. What, where is that information from? Is it the kind of product that they had to get? Like what's the background to that why are we all poo-pooing our own food well i i, I, I will interrupt but i will say i think that's more of a feeling from some of the the jewish community that i've heard so, you know my experience is that there's been some great food in the area and i think it's it's kind of one of those opinions people formed 30 years ago like you said and unfortunately i don't hold up quite as well um yehuda yeah um i think listen there are a ton of people doing their part to change that these days um but what what I've seen from uh, first an outsider's perspective and then insiders is that we just didn't give it, a, the kosher community didn't give it that much attention. It was, you know, the main focus for the people who were immigrating to the DC area back when they first did was, can we get some kosher infrastructure? And how do we get just, you know, the food? And so elevating the whole kosher dining, all of it, um, that was that's really secondary to when you're really just worried about like where can I get kosher meat and kosher dairy and all of that stuff, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's truly honestly what drove me into this business was that I was looking for people like Chaps and uh, you know all the other amazing people that I've worked with to be able to say, you know w this can be done and there's nobody from within focusing on it. How do I get the real professionals here to focus on the opportunity and to you know, take their skills and their knowledge and, you know, really service our community and, and the broader community. So when you guys got together and started Schmaltz Brothers, which made sense given the time, how did you come up with the menu for Schmaltz Brothers? Because there's some really fun, it's fun. It's not serious. It's really fun. Like I, I love the, I mean, to me, the matzo puppies are brilliant, but how did you guys like come up with the menu and what you wanted to offer and serve? You know, it's it's fun because you know it's we can talk to Yehuda and Yehuda goes, well, I want to try this, mm -hmm. and so for instance, like you know, we've been doing a you know a birria taco. Um, you know, there's you know, if you are a part of the Orthodox community here, there's no there's no kosher, we're not having there's no kosher kosher taquerias, and so you know we can talk to Yehuda about this is what we're loving to eat, and he can go, this is what I'd like to eat, and we can you know figure out how to make it. You know, for instance, using schmaltz or chicken fat. To make the tortillas rather than lard or something like that and how do you how do you figure out how to do some of these traditional recipes and we have a very diverse kitchen as well 
that also are kind of making a lot of the foods that they grew up with or are comfortable with and making that kosher. Isn't that interesting? Like, so that there is just a broader selection available um, because you do catering, right? With Schmaltz Brothers yeah, and you have the truck. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let's fast forward. Uh, it's just so happens that I have a little bit of knowledge about the new uh, things happening on the GW campus because I was part of one of the companies that pitched to win the uh, the food services <laughs> at GW. Uh, they didn't win, the other company won. But uh, so I know a lot about what went on there. And um, I'm fascinated that you guys are gonna do a brick and mortar at Hillel. Um, so how did you, how did that conversation start? What happened with all that? Well, uh, I, you know, we happen to have a, a lot of close contacts who are involved uh, with the GW Hillel. Mm -hmm. um, in particular, uh, uh, the Mayberg family, they're very, they're both uh, Hill alumni, I'm sorry, um, GW alumni, and, and very much behind uh, this new building project that the Hillel um, started a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so the vision always was, how do we get um, more, uh, again, of that kosher infrastructure into the, the GW uh, university area to be able to make it a, a, a more accessible and supportive place for the Jewish students who would be coming to the Hillel. Um, when, you know, Chap and I heard about the opportunity, it just seemed like, like a great fit because, you know, that's what we're trying to do is really um, break down any of the barriers that, that people may have, either whether it's the availability of the kosher food, the quality of kosher food, or, you know, just an understanding of it. And, and for us, the Hillel is, you know, that's what it represents. It's, it's, the student union, but it's really there, um, you know, to support uh, not just not just those students, but really anybody who um, you know who needs it. Um, and uh, you know, that's uh, that was with the but name of, be, of, of be, our new venture there. Yeah, it won't just be open to students, right? I mean, is this a, how will the restaurant be open to the public? Yeah, it's, it, yes. it'll be open to it'll be open to just not not just the not just students, but the public. And you know. We mentioned earlier how one of our goals is to be able to bring cuisine to the Orthodox community in the in the DC area that you know, right now isn't being offered, like we mentioned the tacos, but you know also help educate the the non-Jewish non-kosher community about kosher food and kind of what it, you know we I have lots of friends that'll say to me why well, didn't go to try the truck because I'm not Jewish and I said well you know it's it's okay you can eat it it's you know it's, it's not so, hurt but, have you had a bagel I mean I exactly. just exactly. If people would just recognize, I one of the things I said to somebody recently, we were talking about uh, your venture, um, they kept referring to it as Jewish food. I'm like, it's not Jewish food. Bagels, babka, that stuff is Jewish. That's, you know, corned beef and, uh, you know, stuff like that, deli food, like that's Jewish food. But um, this is not Jewish food, it's kosher. Yeah, and you know, kosher. although we definitely want to, you know, take on some of the, you know, the the spirit of the the classic kosher deli you know that's you know and and you know also educate people about all the quality around kosher food that they don't realize the inspection process the you know the care that's taken for the animals that we use in our in our in our products the care, you know the the inspection of the vegetables the cleaning of everything that is much more in depth than anywhere else that they they get and so it's you know it's incredibly wholesome product that you know, I think people will really enjoy and you know and we'll be more than just you know, the chicken sandwich and, the, and, the, and other stuff will have some great, you know, vegetarian and vegan options. You know, we're so close to 
being vegan anyway with most everything because we have no dairy that it's going to be very easy for us to offer a wide variety of vegan items to the to the gw community and the people around there well to that point um there's so many plant-based options now are you know are many of these plant-based options kosher you know it's 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 that's one of the you know it's interesting i'll tell you the one thing that i've learned is just how much is kosher um, you know, if you pick up almost anything in your house, any package of good, if you look at the back, there's a good chance you're going to see a little circle with a U on it, which means Orthodox Union, which means it's been certified with Orthodox Union and it can be, it's, it's kosher, or you can see a little uh, a star with a K, there's right. a couple of things you'll see that there are kosher. So it's, it's a huge variety of products. Uh, Yehuda was just a kosher fest, which he can tell you about if you want, looking at products to fill the space, but you'd be amazed at how much stuff is out there. I bet. And Yuda, will there be a marketplace there? Are you guys thinking of selling products there too? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's um, as far as Jewish and kosher food in that area, there, you know, there, there aren't any stores and we're going to have a little marketplace there. And around the holidays, we'll have special items, you know, where else can you get your menorah and Hanukkah candles coming up, you know, so that's right. uh, definitely part of the plan. Well, and then, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. So why don't you talk about just the Shabbos and some of the things we're going to be providing for that, Yuda? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, for, for Shabbos or Shabbat, um, it's uh, the, a huge portion of, of just the, the, the feeling around it is, is the, the fact that, you know, we have, you have three meals throughout Shabbat and you're supposed to spend that time with family, friends. Um, and what can, you know, what can we bring that, that, that adds to everybody's experience that we're going to have a little, um, you know, part of the prepared goods market. We will have, you know, the classic Shabbat items in my family's mothball soup. We'll have because uh, my family actually is a cross between, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of uh, very Ashkenazic foods. My, my mother's side of the family is from Hungary, so I get that side, but my father's side is from Morocco. So we have all of the like, you know, Mike Salamanov, like that style, the salatim and dips. That's it's a big, it's a huge part of the Shabbos experience. It's not, it's not really all Shabbos is about, but it, it adds, you know, what can we do to add to that whole experience? And, and, and we'll do that with that, all those, um, you know, little uh, marketplace items there. What about Whether the challah? Uh, what are you going to do about the challah? Challah, babkas, desserts. Yeah, as soon as we can, we're working on all those recipes right now and um, making sure that they're going to be really exactly what it, what it takes to give that uh, you know, special Shabbat. I think, I think we're doing a disservice to your listeners by not having you to just explain Shabbat and Shabbos and all that just together. Because I think, I think we're taking it for granted that a lot of people know what that means. Okay. Well, let's explain. For those who don't know, you're right. I, I just assume people understand what Shabbat is. But for those who don't know, Yehuda, why don't you explain it? So Shabbat is the Jewish day of rest. It's uh, every Friday night, sundown, until Saturday night, about an hour after sundown. Um, light kosher, there are a bunch of things you can and can't do on, on Shabbat. Um, we talked about, you know, the three meals. Uh, I spend my time, I, you know, Friday night we have services. We come home, we have a nice meal with the family. Saturday morning, uh, it's the same deal. We have a little uh, kiddush, which is a little get-together get after um after services in the synagogue, there's just a lot of camaraderie. It's where you, it's where really, you know, community starts from. Um, but, you know, on Shabbat, there's no cooking, no uh, using of uh, electricity. I don't drive a car. I don't, right? I don't do any business, right? So all of the stuff that I have for Shabbat or that we have at our table for Shabbat, that's all prepared beforehand or like you said it's put in the oven before before shabbat and we take it out you know later that evening or the next day so uh it's a very 
you know, especially in today's day and age where everything's very fast paced, we're all connected all the time. To me, more and more now, it's such a blessing that we have this in our lives that it's literally, you know, 26 hours where we have to unplug and we have to spend time with the people and who are important to us and, you know, just focus on, on those things. And, you know, the more people we can spend it with, you know, I've, I've been lucky to have a chap at my house for a Shabbat meal. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's really beautiful to, to be able to share. Well, I, I will tell you that I too, um, I don't do it regularly. When my children were young, I did every Friday night, I did a Shabbat dinner. My mother did not do Shabbat dinners, but my best friend's family did. And her mom used to make a challah. And I, you know, really enjoyed those evenings of sitting there and uh, my girlfriend's father, Stuart would, you know, say all the prayers and uh, the prayer over the children was always my favorite. Um, and the prayer over his wife. And uh, my husband and I incorporated that when my kids were young. And then, you know, unfortunately, we didn't take the tenants of it with us as everybody got older because everybody got so busy. Um, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole there because I could. But let, let's uh, get back to the restaurant uh, for a second. So aside from Shabbat, aside from the marketplace, what, I, what are we guys be doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner? How will you be serving things? What can people look forward to? And when do we think it's, when do we think it's going to open? Yeah, I think the last point I'll say just to, to follow the close of the last conversation is we are, you know, and you mentioned earlier about why aren't there more kosher restaurants, mm -hmm. you know, we are not going to be successful if we're only serving the kosher community, and we really want it we want to make this the whole, you know, really serve the whole community and so, you know, our goal is, is, you know, be able to do that with great food for that, that, just, that just happens to be our, our just happens to be kosher, excuse me. So um, back to your, your last question, you know, we hope to be open soon, everything is taking longer right now. You know, every, you know, all the kitchen equipment took three times longer than we're expecting. Just and so that's been the big choke point so far. Um, and then, yes, we'll be serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We'll have you know a wide variety of breakfast items. You know, shakshuka, things like that. Um, you know, we ha we'll have entrees, um, a lot of grab and go items, along with some pickup. You know, cured fish and things like that for Shabbos and other options. But will people be able to sit down and eat? Yeah, yes. Yeah. There's I think okay. seating for sixty to seventy right now, so it's it's a big space. Well, I think you make an excellent point and something I think is very important that it, this is a restaurant for anybody, everybody. It's not, it just is a specific style and how it's prepared. And uh, Chap, you did bring up a really good point. I think educating the general public on what kosher meat means and what koshering is and why those products uh, are elevated because of the care that's put to them. Uh, is important. And also, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people don't do it. It's because it's incredibly expensive. So you are taking on a, a huge cost to do that. That's definitely true. So, you know, we have, we have, you know, religious supervision inside every restaurant and on the truck, which is, you know, another, another level inspection and just, you know, helps us, you know, helps with quality in a lot of ways too, but it's, it's definitely an added cost that comes to the, to the product. Without a doubt. Yehuda, what um, are you playing with in the kitchen that we can look forward to on the uh, Hamakom menu? Well, you know, we've got an incredible team here that's really just, as Trap mentioned, drawing from all their backgrounds. But, you know, it's the, the classic items. Um, you know, we're, we've got Hanukkah stuff coming up, uh, different takes on a take on latkes, take on sukhaniyot, little donuts. Um, and at the cafe, you know, it's, it's going to be a menu that's both familiar, um, you know, with the, those little touch points for people and also 
you know, keep it very, very interesting and fresh and exciting. Um, well, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, Sephardic, you know, like what Michael Samanov, the, you know, more Mediterranean focused uh, salads and things of those natures um, is very exciting. Um, so I'm really looking forward to what you both are doing. So I want to thank you both for joining me today. Um, I'm a fan, obviously. Um, can you tell us, please, where we can find Schmaltz Brothers, where we can find uh, more information about the new restaurant and be kept up to date? I will say I will just, uh, a little disappointed that our, we're following the last group. No one will be nude at any of our uh, restaurants or trucks. Um, I don't think that's kosher. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find us on Instagram at schmaltzbrothersdc, uh, schmaltzbrosdc, uh, or you can find us on, we're on Facebook. And then, um, Yehuda, anywhere else? Yeah, um, our website, schmaltzbros.com. That's where we have all information where the food trucks can be making stops. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the uh, cafe, Hamakom DC, uh, both Instagram and Facebook, and um, and Twitter Hamakom as well. DC.com. Yeah. Hamakom DC. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both for joining me. I cannot wait for the new space to open. Well, I have to say that was a completely kosher show. I can't help myself. I'm going to be using the word kosher all day now. Uh, no, I'm so excited to have uh, Chef Gage and uh, Yehuda Malika of uh, Schmaltz Brothers and the soon to open uh, Hamakom uh, in the Halal Center at GW. And remember, I think what they said was really important. This is food for everybody. Uh, you don't have to be Jewish to enjoy it. And uh, I'm so excited that I had the team from DMV Nude, Tanisha Britt and Conglay on, uh, stay in touch with what they're doing because it's just, um, DC is primed. I think uh, Con said it right. DC is prime to be a new experimental art area. Uh, we are not all suit and tie people. So I want to thank you all for joining me. Uh, it's post Thanksgiving, which means we are getting into the throes of the holiday madness. Don't miss uh, the gift guide on the list. Are you Do not miss our Hanukkah guide with all the Hanukkah happenings. Don't miss our winter activation guides because there's a lot being activated. Uh, and listen, uh, every other day, something changes. I don't know what it is today, whether or not you need to wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask. But no matter what, if you're asked to wear a mask, just put it on. You have it in your back pocket, or at least you should. Uh, if you haven't gotten your booster, go get one. If you haven't gotten your flu shot, definitely go get that. Uh, I hope you're all safe out there and enjoy the uh, holidays uh, because there's a lot of fun happening. I thank you for joining me, and I'll talk to you next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.